Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. These next several weeks, we'll be going through the book of Hebrews together. Today's reading comes from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll be picking up again um, in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, I'm actually going to start in uh, verse 1, if we have time to get there. The writer of Hebrews says this, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jumping to chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay greater attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the message declared through the angels was valid and every transgression or disobedience received a just penalty, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If we have declared, it was declared at first through the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard him. While God added his testimony by signs and wonders and various miracles by the gifts of his Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now God did not subject the coming world about which we are speaking to angels, but someone, but someone has testified somewhere. What are human beings that you are mindful of them, or mortals that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside of their control. It, has, it is, as, is 
we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given to me. These are the words of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh God, we ask that you would place the cross before me. Let none see me but you and your grace alone. Amen. During seminary, part of your seminary experience is at least the attempt to help preachers learn how to preach. So you spend a lot of your time learning how to exegete a text. Exegete's a funny word. It literally means just to draw out. So part of your time in seminary is learning how to, how to draw out meaning from these scripture verses by being equipped with various tools for your tool belt. These tools are helpful in going from text to sermon. But seminary doesn't do a good job of teaching you how to move from sermon to sermon. Now what I mean by that is that when you read the book of Hebrews, we're not reading a letter like we might of the Apostle Paul. We're not reading something like the Gospel of Matthew. No, Hebrews is different. The letter of Hebrews is not a letter at all. The letter of Hebrews is actually a first century sermon manuscript. These are the words of a preacher preaching to a congregation. So as this preacher reads it, I attempt to look for things that I might do. But unfortunately, my sermon strategy probably isn't quite good enough for that just yet. You see, as I look at the very beginning of this sermon, I realize there's no lead-in story for the listener's ears. There's no personal attribute to draw in the congregation. There's no funny joke that the congregation can tell that the preacher has spent more time looking for the joke than he did reading the scripture to start with. There isn't any of this. You see, the preacher in Hebrews builds no excitement in the experience of preaching. He builds no excitement for his listeners to hear. Instead, he does something that no preacher today would do. He just jumps straight to the point. That's something I would never do. I have to wait at least to the 15-minute mark to do that. 
You see, these opening lines of this preacher from Hebrew focus on the God who has spoken in the past through various prophets, and again, how God has spoken in a singular way through a son. There's no initial humorous antidotes. There's no lengthy personal stories. Instead, the listeners and we are just brought directly into an encounter with a God who speaks. He starts his sermon. God has spoke before. God has spoken again. And that intense focus raises questions as to why the preacher starts here. Why was that focus on God so important? Wage listeners. You see, throughout Hebrews, we get glimpses of the situation that this person's congregation might be going through. It's scattered throughout the whole book. In terms of a congregational profile, the group had apparently been a rather successful new church plant. At first, they had received the gospel message with excitement. The work of the Spirit among them seemed unmistakable. Their worship and their life together was full of vitality, and yet, as with any community, problems arose. And it led them to have friction with each other and friction with people outside of the community of faith. People who evidently had found this enthusiastic group of worshipers too peculiar to fit into a conventional social order of the day. After all, in the region where this preacher is preaching, there's plenty of options if you want a religious experience. So why start something new? You see, this something new became a source of suspicion and controversy. There's all of these other possibilities. Why something new? Why something new now? And as a threat to this newness of faith, there were threats against the Christian group. And some of them were arrested, and some of them were beaten, and some of them were put to death. But others remained faithful. So in the face of all of these hardships and situational sufferings, this community of faith rallied together, at least for a little while. But over time, as with the case of most communities, Over time, you can only take so much before despair starts to set in. You see, the real crisis that was facing this congregation was one of apathy. You could also call it emotionlessness and passiveness or numbness to the gospel. There came a time when it wasn't out of fear that people were turning away anymore. It wasn't a hunger for right teaching so that people were just left one church and went to another church. It was simply that some had drifted away. They didn't care as much as they once did. 
When asked why they no longer came to worship, they replied something like, I simply forgot, or I just didn't feel like it. The preacher of Hebrews describes it as neglect. He says in chapter 2, how then can we neglect so great a salvation? The gospel seemed promising at one point in the lives of these believers, but over time, the actual experience of life in a Christian community seemed to fall far too short of the kingdom of God. And for many of us who live in the contemporary church, this is also the case for us. It's the reason why Hebrews still speaks to us today. Look, I don't need to call out many examples of it either. We all know the excuses that we have used. That at the heart of it all, simply reveal a level of apathy we all share. What excuses have you used? Was it a long night the night before? Was it a schedule that perhaps was just a little too busy to work on the kingdom of God? Was it a sporting event or some other extracurricular activity the night before or the day of? Apathy. You see, we don't need to jump too far away to find ourselves sitting in the pews with the Hebrews. We all know what this sermon sounds like. The church, eh. I'll do it when it fits in, when it seems convenient. I'll act like the church when it fits in, when it seems convenient. So how does the author of Hebrews go about revitalizing this congregation back to faith? What words or phrases seem most important to the preacher as he begins to speak against such a challenging situation? We can deal with death. We can deal with false teachers. All of that is easy compared to a congregation filled with apathy. It's easy to address a situation. It's hard to address people who simply just don't care. So how does the preacher begin to speak against such a challenging situation? Well, he says long ago. God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophet. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You see, he jumps straight in. He doesn't have time with people who are filled with apathy, with people who don't care. He only has a few moments before they stop caring again. So he needs to let them all know in these opening lines, back to where it all began is where we're going to find our revitalization. If we want to be revitalized, we have to recount the divine acts in our midst that draw us out of the grayness of life and back into the radiance of divine presence. 
You see, this preacher says in these first few verses that God has spoken before, God has spoken once again, and for all in the person in Jesus, who is the author of all that we see, touch, taste, hear, and smell. He is the word made flesh. He is God's answer to our problem of sin. He, as the writer of Hebrews will later say, is above the angels, yet lowered himself so that he could take us to where he is, that is to say, in honor and in glory. He didn't do this through some sort of heroic scene as if it was just another glimpse of a Rambo movie, some Jason Bourne or some Tom Cruise Mission Impossible. Jesus doesn't do it that way. This God, this God is Jesus and he shows his power through the weakness and suffering not for his sake but for ours. So let's just think about this for one second. Let's just say for one brief moment that we were able to maybe put aside our apathy. And let's just say for one brief moment that this recounting of the world, as the Hebrew writer says, is indeed true. Let's say that Jesus is God's last word to the world. Let's say that through Christ, we now have an inheritance with God. Let's just say for one moment that this is true. Then how could we possibly neglect so great a salvation? How could apathy, numbness, sports, Long nights, early mornings, personal preference, or whatever else you might want to add to this list. Lead us to take our faith and obedience to Christ as nothing more than the eternal eh of our world. How is it that we have allowed the gospel, this eternal nature of God's yes to us, find its place only in the convenience of our calendars and consciousness? You see, this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's talking about a people who just don't care anymore. At the end of the day, in our own current context, it's really not that we Christians are facing so, some sort of oppression or something along those lines. That's not it at all. At the end of the day, the problem with Christianity right now is that the church is filled with people who just don't care. Eh, if it's convenient, we'll do it. If it's not convenient, we won't. You see, the author of Hebrews gets that the Christian life is one that is very hard. And it is hard. It's wearisome. It's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of hoping. It's a lot of sitting around and praying that thy kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven and yet still looking at the news and saying we are so far away. The writer of Hebrews gets it. He gets that there's inequalities in this world. He gets that some voices are heard and others are not. He gets it and he realizes that in the Christian context it's hard to continue to live a Christian life. But he starts his sermon he starts his sermon by saying, I know 
that the world is particularly hard. It brings about much suffering and much pain. And I know that these two, pain and suffering, are quick access points for developing a life of apathy. But the preacher wants us all to know that God is made known in the midst of that journey, which is precisely what we are on. We are all on a journey. Like the Israelites in the wilderness journey, it still beckons us. It still calls us to be able to say, I know that we have 40 years in this, but we still have to keep walking. We still have to keep talking. We still have to keep living in such a way that we act like it at least is true. Because at the end of the day, while the Israelites wandered in that wilderness, while the wilderness beckoned them to keep wandering, so too did the promised land. The promised land was always the possibility for them. So the writer of Hebrews says this, do not neglect so great a salvation. Do not give up. Do not fall into apathy. Do not stop caring persevere knowing that God is not done. So may our prayer today be the prayer of the first century preacher. Lord, save us all from apathy and unite us all once again as your brothers and sisters in your kingdom. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.